as a people in our culture, we love to win. We, we value winning. I mean, we put a lot of value on winning. We, uh, we, we kind of view everything as, as a win or a loss. Like, there's that whole, like, if, if winning's not a big deal, then why aren't we keeping score mentality that we kind of live with, right? Like, this is, that, that's the value that we kind of gauge everything through, like winning and losing. There's always a winner. There's always a loser. I want to be on the winning side. I want to be on the winning team. I want to support the winning team. I want to be a part of that. I want to wear the jersey. I want to do everything I can to identify with the winning team. We want to be winners. We want to win. We want that's such a huge part of how we view the world. It's, it's March, and in a week from now, we're going to have these brackets to look at, and we're going to print out these brackets, and it's called Madness for a reason, and we're going to pick games, and we're going to hope that we're going to win, even though it's almost impossible to predict that stuff. And we're going to be frustrated when we don't win our bracket, because we want to win. And it's, it's just a part of our culture, and the sports kind of trickles down into the way that we view everything. And sports is a huge part of our culture, obviously, and you got people like Vince Lombardi, famous football coaches, Vince Lombardi, says winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. I mean, just think about that mentality. And obviously, that's in the context of sports, but that, if we're honest, it just bleeds over into all of our life. We see, the whole, we see all of life as like, how do I win? How do I, how, do I, how do I get to the top? How do I become the most successful person? Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Paul Bryant said, winning isn't everything, but it beats anything that comes in second. Like that, that's just the way that we view the world. George Steinbrenner, winning is the most important thing in my life. Well, after breathing. Breathing first, winning next. It's just the way that we view the world. Bill Parcells, another famous football coach, says no matter how much you've won, no matter how many games, no matter how many championships, no matter how many Super Bowls, you're not winning now, so you stink. I don't know for sure, but that must have been when he was coach of the Cowboys when he said that. So... <laughs> This is just the way we see life. Theologian Ricky Bobby said, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> that, this is the way we view the world. We want to win. If we're parents, we want to win at parenting. If we're in a marriage, we want to win at marriage. If we're at our job, we want to win at our job. We want to win at life. And, and I want you to see this, this whole sermon this, this, these beatitudes are the introduction to this sermon that Jesus is about to teach, the most famous sermon of all time, the best sermon of all time, this, this sermon on the mount. I want you to see it through that lens. I, I don't want you to miss that big picture that here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, do you, do you want to win? Do you want to win at life? Do you want to flourish? Here's what winning looks like. That, that's, that's a huge part of what this is all about. And the things that he says in these beatitudes, these blessed are you, blessed are you, you could, you could almost say it like winning are you, flourishing are you when you do these things. And then he's going to kind of take that as an intro and unpack it. As we spend this time in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's going to unpack these ideas throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that this is what winning looks like. And here's what Jesus does so well. I love this part about his teaching, is he's always redefining what it looks like to win in our culture. In the world that he lives in, he's redefining it. And, and the words that Jesus teaches, if, if we understand what he's saying, it's redefining that. We want to win. We want to be on top. 
and we have all this information about what that looks like. We look to the culture around us, we look to our peers, we look to the neighbors, we look to the Joneses, whoever they are, we look to everyone around us and say, well, here's what winning looks like, so here's how I can win. And then Jesus says, well, you've heard it said, but I say. You, you see these people doing this, but not so with you. Jesus is always redefining what it looks like. And so when he says, here's what winning looks like, he starts with these really, really shocking statements. If you understand it in this context, he's saying, here's, here's how to win. Here's how to, here's how to flourish. Here's how to really, really find success in life. It starts with you being poor in spirit. It moves from there to you mourning. That meekness is what it looks like to win. Hunger and thirst, mercy, all these things. And spoiler alert, he's gonna, he's gonna get worse. He's gonna talk about persecution. Winning are you when they persecute you? Flourishing are you when they persecute you? He's redefining it. These are not things that the people listening to him in that day and the people listening to in this room today would naturally associate with winning. This doesn't look like winning on the surface. It doesn't pour in spirit, mourning, No, winning are you when you mourn over your sin because you're going to be comforted. And and you can't help but see in these promises the futuristic part of it, right? Like that's implied, it's, it's, it's all throughout this that this may not feel like winning when you're in the middle of it, but there's this future hope that we're supposed to be looking towards. There's this future where he's going to make all things right and then in the end, we're going to look back and go, yeah, that's, that was winning. That, that may not have felt like it at the time, but it really, really was. And that's the truth. Is if, if you lean into this, if you embrace Jesus' teaching, if you say, I'm going to let him redefine what winning looks like for me. I'm going to let him redefine what flourishing life looks like for me. It may not feel like it all the time. I'm saying that to kind of like hold out some hope for us because to be honest, if you really embrace this, it's gonna not feel like it maybe most of the time. When you talk about these qualities of poor in spirit, mourning and meekness, hunger and thirst, not for the things everybody else is hungering and thirsting for, but for righteousness and being merciful when you wanna look out for yourself. Like all these things are not gonna feel like we're winning and then you hold out on this hope that Jesus is promising a future. There's an already to this that, yes, you're going to experience some of these promises now, but we won't experience them in full until we're in eternity. But this is what he's saying. This is what he's teaching. This is what it looks like to really, really win. And every single one of these kind of seems like, wait a second, that doesn't seem like the path. And Ryan started the series to talk about the paradox. It doesn't seem to be true, and we have to lean into it in order to understand that it's true. And then here we are today at this one that almost doesn't fit. Because he says this, blessed are the pure in heart, verse eight, for they shall see God. And so all these other ones feel like poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, like that doesn't feel like winning. And then this one kind of stands out a little bit. It's kind of almost in the middle here and it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And so the pure in heart, it doesn't, on the surface doesn't look like a paradox. It doesn't look like something that 
we wouldn't naturally pursue. It feels like something we would pursue. And so what does Jesus mean by this? And so I think we need to just look at the formula, look at the statements that Jesus made. What, what is he talking about and what is the promise that he gives us? And so he's saying right here that it's the pure in heart that are gonna see God. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, first of all, the pure in heart are pure inside and out. When you see Jesus teaching, you're gonna see him be very, very critical of the Pharisees and religious leaders. And the, the thing that he was most critical about was that they had an exterior that looked clean and holy and pure, but on the inside, they were rotten. And so he talks about that a whole lot. He talks about the fact that the, the law and the way that the Pharisees and religious elite had decided to treat the law and view the law had created this mindset where they were much more worried about what they did on the outside and their outward behavior than they were about their heart. They worried about their internal life. And so what Jesus did is he's always pointing out, hey, you're honoring me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I want your heart. And pure of heart means to be pure inside and out. This inside and out. This word heart, it can mean so many different things, but in the Bible, what it means is the whole person. It doesn't... It can mean, and it does mean, your emotions, this, the center of your emotional being, but it also means like how you think. It, it's talking about your personality. When the Bible says it's your heart, it's talking about your Enneagram number. I mean, it's, it's talking about that. If you're old school and you want the Myers-Briggs and you got the combination letters, like whatever you, it's talking about all of you, how you think, how you see the world, your spirit, your emotions, your will, your intellect, all of that is your heart. It's who you are on the inside. Who you are when no one's watching. Who you are that only God knows. What pure in heart means is that on the inside, we're after God. On the inside, we have integrity. And what, what we say on the outside matches up who we are on the inside. And that's, that's, that's a pretty high standard here that Jesus makes for all of us, that the pure in heart are pure inside and out. In all of your life, in every part of you, there's a, there's a purity here, there's a, there's a holiness that Jesus is teaching us about in the sermon. But if we're honest and we really understand this phrase pure in heart, what, that's just really the surface of what he's talking about. That's just really kind of a, a gateway to get us to where he's really, really trying to help us to focus. And that is this truth that the pure in heart, here's what the Bible most often means by that, are single-minded. The pure in heart are single-minded. What, what I mean is that they're single-minded in their devotion to God. The pure in heart are wholeheartedly focused on and devoted to God. There's nothing else that competes with him for that place of supreme value and devotion in their life. You see it all throughout Scripture. This is the way the Bible kind of talks about this idea of being pure in heart. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6 that, that may be what Jesus had in mind when he was saying this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. He may have had this passage in mind. Psalm 24, verse 3 says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So who, who gets to see God? Who gets to ascend to the holy place, ascend to the hill of God? It's the it's the person who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then the psalmist un 
Helps us understand what that looks like. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Who does not give his soul to an idol. Who does not worship anything else. This person that is has clean hands and a pure heart, he's single-minded in his devotion towards God. He's, he's focused on God. He's, God is supreme in his life. It's the ultimate thing that he values in life, and everything else doesn't compare to that. Verse five, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Those of us who seek him, who will send to his hill, are those who have clean hands and a pure heart. What does that pure heart look like? It means that we worship only him. It means we're devoted completely and solely to him, above everything else. Nothing else compares. And our devotion, our supreme devotion, has no mix. It's not divided. It's all for him. James, when he writes his epistle, he talks about this same idea. In James chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, clean hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, clean hands, pure hearts, you double-minded. Who needs to clean their hands and purify their hearts? It's the double-minded person. The person who's not single-minded in their devotion. It's the person who is trying to worship God and also worship other things. And there's a competition for supreme value in their lives. That's the double-minded person. James says, you gotta cleanse yourself from that. You need to focus on him. You need to be single-minded. Get rid of the double-minded stuff. Jesus talks about that. You can't worship God and fill in the blank. Jesus is gonna say, you can't worship God and money. Man, there's a lot of different things that can go in that blank for us. And here's, here's why I think that this also is a paradox. If you understand this idea the Bible presents that the pure in heart are single-minded in their devotion, then all of a sudden, it goes countercultural because our culture tells us that you can have it all. Doesn't it? Our culture says you can have enough of God and devotion of Him to Him to make you happy and to, and to smooth out some areas in your life, and you can also have fill-in-the-blank. And our culture says, go get all of it. The one who wins is the one who has all of it. So you can do all of it. And what Jesus says is, no, you can't. Jesus says, you can't gain the whole world without forfeiting your soul. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you, wanna, if you really want to save your life, you, you, you need to lose it. If you're trying to save it, it's not, it's not going to work for you. Your devotion will always be divided, and a devotion that's divided will never really look like devotion to anything. In fact, the things that matter the most in our lives will continually get pushed down to the bottom. So tell me if that's true. When you think, I can have it all, and your devotion becomes divided, does that work? Just be honest with yourself. There's a part of this whole process where you see in the Psalms where they says, search me, God, know my heart. Like, would you allow God to search your heart today and see if there's a divided devotion there? And then would you just ask yourself, how's that working? Because we, we come here and we gather together because we want to be people that are pure at heart. We want to be people who see God. We want to be people who are single-minded in our devotion, but yet we continually let things creep into our lives. 
that pull us away from our devotion to God and shove it down to the bottom of the list. So single-minded devotion, what does it look like? Well, it, it looks like valuing and treasuring God above everything else. That's what it looks like. But how that plays out for each and every one of us is different. Valuing and treasuring God above everything else means that how we use our time, how we use our money, how we view the world, how we start off our day, how we end our day, how we view our kids and our parenting, how we view our relationships, how we view our job, everything. Everything will be seen through this lens of, is Jesus the most valuable in my life? Does he get all of my devotion, single-minded devotion? It doesn't mean that you stop doing all the other things. These all the other things are less than Jesus, and so I'm going to stop doing those things. That's not what it means. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about his value, the value of him in your life, the devotion to God in your life is supreme, and everything else falls in line under it. So how, how, do you, how you use your time. When we've talked about this Beatitudes and how this looks like winning, one of the things that we've tried to make application for us a few times is as a parent, this is how we're supposed to raise our kids. We should be raising our kids to be meek. We should be raising our kids to be merciful. We should be raising our kids to hunger and thirst after righteousness. When the world around them tells them to hunger and thirst after all the other things, we need to be pointing them to this. And here's this one opportunity we have to raise our kids to be pure in heart, to raise our kids to be single-minded in their devotion to God, that nothing else will ever compare to him, that nothing else will ever compete with him in their lives. And here's how we do that. We become single-minded in our devotion to God. And you don't let other things replace those things. And guys, we are all guilty of that because our culture says, no, 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 no. If you really want to win, you got to do this and you got to have your kids involved in this. You got to do this and you got to get to the top. You got to be on this and this and this, whatever. And they just tell us all these things over and over and over. And we go, okay, well, I'll be devoted to God and I'll raise kids that are pure in heart, but I'm also going to raise kids who are this, fill in the blank. And sooner or later, that devotion to God gets pushed down all the time in my life and in all of our lives. He's calling us a single-minded devotion. He's calling us to pursue him. He's calling us to start our day with a single-minded devotion to God and to get into his word and to see what he's teaching us there and to make it a habit and a discipline in your life so that when you're in his word at the beginning of your day, it begins to inform how you see the rest of your day and your values don't get mixed up. Those other things don't become more important than they should be. They're important, but they don't become supreme and they don't become ultimate because our ultimate value is placed on Jesus and in following him and living according to his standard and worshiping him with our lives. The pure in heart are pure inside and out. It's not just an outward thing, but it's inside that produces an outward behavior. The pure in heart are single-minded in their devotion. And man, there's so many ways that we could just stop and go, I need to, I need to think through that. I, I need to consider some things. Does my life and how I use my time and energy and all the things, does everything like that, does it show that I'm single-minded in my devotion for God, that I'm following and chasing after him and valuing and treasuring him above everything else? If not, we need to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. 
stop being so double-minded. And here's, here's the great thing about all these Beatitudes is that it just, Jesus isn't just giving us this really difficult challenge and then just leaving us there. He's giving us this difficult challenge, redefining winning, and then he gives us a promise. Some of those promises are in the future, but some of them are right here and now as well. And here's the promise that he gives us. The pure in heart shall see God. And that was kind of crazy. Because we can get the people who mourn will be comforted by God because we've mourned and we've received comfort from God. We kind of understand that. But this one's a little bit different because the pure in heart, which already kind of is hard to even fathom that we could do that, the promise is that they'll see, they'll see God. And so obviously there's a huge futuristic element in here that the pure in heart will see God in heaven for all eternity. But every one of these has something to say about right here and right now. And this, this idea of seeing God throughout our Bible kind of gives us a picture of that. The pure in heart shall see God means in some part that we'll have access to God. If you think about, think about this way, like in Jesus' culture you may have a king and the king would say, you, you're no longer welcome in my presence. I'm, I'm not going to show my face to you anymore. And so that would mean you don't have access to that king anymore. In our culture, we don't have kings to do that. We have doctors, right? So you go to the doctor, and what do you do? You spend a whole lot of time in the waiting room filling out forms for the, that you had to fill out this last time you were here. And then you finally get back out of the waiting room. You get back into the the actual doctor's office, and then you spend some more time in a waiting room, and then finally somebody finally comes by and they say something like this, the doctor will see you now. Thank you. So good. While I was here, I got the coronavirus. Thank you so much. Like, I'm finally going to get to see the doctor. You get to see the doctor, and that's what it means. You have access. You, you've, been, you've been brought into the doctor's presence. This idea of shall see God it doesn't mean for us that right now we're, we're going to see God face to face. In fact, most of the time in the Bible, that, that didn't go well for people. But what it means is that we have access to him. That the pure in heart have access to God. The pure in heart are into his presence, ushered into his presence. That we've been granted access because of Jesus. And so the pure in heart shall see God. They have access. The pure in heart... Shall see God, which means they're in awe of him. Awe is a result of seeing God. When you see people in the Bible that actually saw him or even just saw a glimpse of his glory, they were in awe. They were struck by awe. And so when you're, when you're pure at heart, when you're single-minded in your devotion to God, here's what's going to happen. is You're going to start to see God's greatness and glory all the time. The more you're single-minded in your devotion, the more you're spending time in his word, the more that you're doing everything you can to just really focus on him and make him the ultimate value, the more value you see that he has, the more valuable he becomes in your eyes, that you see his greatness, you see this gospel story, you see what he's done, and he looks better and better and better, and that produces more single-minded devotion. You understand this, this circle starts to, to really work in our, our favor, that we decide, I'm going to focus on him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to value him above everything else, and I'm going to look to him, and I see how great he is and how glorious he is and how magnificent he is and all the things he's done for me and all the things he's accomplished for me, and it just creates more devotion for him in my heart. 
so that I pursue him more and I value him more. When you talk about idolatry, and we could spend so much time talking about idolatry, we know that it's a problem. We know that our hearts are prone to wonder. We know that we continually chase after things that will not satisfy us. And we always want to know, how do we destroy the idols? How do we cure the idols? How do we tear down the idols in our hearts? Maybe the best way is to focus on Jesus. Maybe the best way to destroy the idolatry in our hearts is to focus on him and his greatness and his glory and his gospel and all that he's done so that all these other things become less valuable to us because we see how great he is. And when we stop focusing on him, when we stop looking to him, when we stop seeing how great he is, all these other things look more valuable. They look more attractive and we wander away And it's reminding ourselves that Jesus is better than these things. It's it's going back over and over and seeing how great he is and going, no, he's better than that other thing that I want to pursue. He's better. He will really satisfy me. He will really fulfill me. He will really allow me to win. He's better. And then we, we ask him, God, will you help me to remember that? Will you help me to believe that? I know you're better. Will you help me? Will you make my heart believe that? He's better. So when we're pure in heart, we see God, which means that we're in awe of him, and our awe of him makes us want to be more single-minded, more pure at heart in our devotion to him. And the other thing the Bible seems to indicate about this idea of seeing God is aid. That the pure in heart shall see God, which means that he'll help us. You see the psalmist, he says, God, don't hide your face from me. What he means by this, God, don't turn away from me. I need your help. And this idea of God showing his face, letting us see him, means that he's there to comfort us, he's there to help us, he's there to do exactly what we need. That everything that we need in life, it comes from him. And the pure in heart are the ones who have access to him and they're in awe of him, but they also receive help on a daily basis. This is a futuristic thing, of course, that we'll see God for all eternity, but right here and right now, he helps those whose hearts are his, who trust in him, who rely on him, who value him above everything else. Those are the ones he helps. Man, we all need that every single day. And we think, I can get it all, I can have it all. I'll have enough of God to give me what I need, and I'll also be devoted to all these other things. And Jesus says, no, the pure in heart are the ones who are single-minded, and those are the ones who I will bless. Those are the ones who receive my help when their hearts are fully mine. There's a lot of hope. I hope, I hope that as we explain that, that, that you see the hope in this, that here's what it looks like to be a pure in heart, to be single-minded in your devotion, and that here's what Jesus promises from that. But if you're honest, you understand that there's no hope really found yet because none of us have hearts that are pure. We just don't. Jeremiah says it this way, chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, speaking through Jeremiah, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So (laughs) here's the good news. Our hearts, we want them to be pure. Our hearts are desperately sick and wicked. 
They're deceitful above everything else. They betray us all the time. That's why we wander away. And the Lord is testing our hearts. And he's willing to give us what we've earned with our deceitful, wicked hearts. Not much hope there. Scary if we're honest. Oh, these are the people who receive help from God. These are the people who have access to God. These are the people who are in awe of God and growing in their relationship. They're the ones that are pure in heart. But my heart, if I'm honest, is deceitful and desperately, desperately sick. So where's the hope? Well, the hope comes from Jesus. Ezekiel, talking about what Jesus was going to do for us, what God's going to do for us through Christ and the Spirit, in chapter 36, verse 25, he says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Look at this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's where the hope is. The hope in the Beatitudes is not in us going, well, I'm going to really work hard this week to be single-minded in my devotion so I'll receive all this blessing from God. No, the hope is to trust Jesus. The hope is to understand that through Jesus, we were given a new heart. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you, that's your story today, I'm trusting in Jesus and only Jesus for my, my life, my salvation, my everything. Then what Jesus has done is he's given you a spirit and he's taken out the heart of stone that's deceitful and wicked and he's given you a new heart, a pure heart. He's given you what he's asking of you. The pure in heart will see God. We were never gonna make it. We're gonna never make the cut. Jesus comes in, he rescues us from that, and he gives us a pure heart. He gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh. So that now, because of the heart that Jesus has given us towards him, we can be single-minded in our devotion. We can pursue him. We can value him. We can walk according to his statutes. We can live the way he wants us to live. Not because we're good at it, but because he's given us a new heart. That's where the hope is found. Hope is always found in Jesus, but it's maybe never more clear than in this particular beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones that will see God. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your greatness, your glory, your majesty this gospel truth that is our only hope. God, it all comes from you. It's all because of you. It's all wrapped up in who you are. And God, I'm thankful for the chance to gather together with your people to be reminded of how great you are so that you would call us back. God, we were wandering this week, but we gather together on Sundays to be reminded of your greatness so that we'll come back and we'll value and treasure you above everything else, that you call us back to be single-minded in our devotion. And God, as we've, we've sang today and we've worshiped today and we've prayed today and we've sat under your teaching today, it's all a reminder that you're better than everything else that we would pursue. We know that, God. 
but we still wander. So God, just like David prayed, I want to pray for us that you would create in us a pure heart. That those of us that wandered all week long, that we would come back and understand and remember today and even confess today that you are better. And God, would you help us? Help us believe that. Make our hearts believe that in such a way that it changes how we view every single part of our lives. And God, I pray that you would be glorified in all of that as we pursue you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.